Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be having our our Becoming Book Club discussion. But before we get to that, being that it is the end of the quarter, so 2019 is already in the process of flying by, we want to just check in with our reading goals and challenges and so far what our initial thoughts are of 2019, tell you a little something about what we've been reading lately, and uh, I don't know, anything else that comes up in the course of recording. (laughs) Yes. And that we're also in the middle of our March Madness challenge. All right. So we got a lot to get to. Gail, what are you reading? I just finished two books. I finished the memoir called Inheritance by Danny Shapiro, which I really enjoyed. I'm definitely glad I read. I did that on audio, which I highly recommend. She is very introspective and like, I mean, as I guess memoirists hmm. are, professional memoirists I think you are, have to be. You know, she's got a lot to say. I think you have to be, right? If you're not, then you don't have much to write about. And this is the book about her discovering in her mid-50s that she was conceived by a sperm donor as opposed to by her her biological father. Both of her parents are dead. And so she has to kind of unravel this mystery of how was she conceived? Who is her biological father? Did her parents know that um, because at the time that she was born, there were kind of all sorts of shady practices having to do with artificial insemination. So there's a possibility that only the doctor knew that he was using donor sperm mixed in with her father's sperm when she was conceived. So she kind of has to solve that problem of what did her parents know? But she gets into all kinds of issues of like identity and how she's kind of always felt like she didn't belong in her family. And she doesn't look like the rest of her family. She looks very Christian and her family is very observant Orthodox Jews. So anyway, I think it's a really good book. I'm glad I read it and I recommend it. And then I read a book called When You Read This by Mary Adkins which is told um, entirely through emails and texts and blog posts about a woman who dies of cancer and her boss and her sister who sort of are left to pick up the pieces after she dies. Um, I think I read about that book from uh, Catherine at Gilmore Guide, and it was a pretty quick read, and I'm definitely glad I read it. And I I liked how it was told. I thought it was really interesting. So it was good. It held your attention, like all of our criteria. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily see it on next year's (laughs) March Madness bracket. Well, Um, it might be. But it was a good read. I read it. Ah, You never know. (laughs) You never know. Put it this way. I'm not sure I see it on like week three of our March Madness bracket, but you're right. You never know. But I liked it a lot. And so now I'm reading, I've got two books going in print. I'm reading... This book called Adele by Leila Slimani, which is about this woman living in Paris who she's married, but she's like a sex addict. And it's all about her sort of like quest for like finding satisfaction in her life. I don't know. It's very dark. It reminds me of Housefrau. Is it good? Yeah. I mean, I'm like 25 pages in. Yeah, it's good so far. Uh, I've re- The reviews are really, really mixed on this mm-hmm. one. Like some people just hated it and some people liked it. 
it's pretty short. And then I also started my um, trust exercise by Susan Choi. And so that is going to be probably my next print read. And then I, this morning I started uh, educated on audio. Well, you're quite the busy little bee. Well, trying. <laughs> How about you? So I started reading Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. <gasps> Did you? And am I going to like it? I really like it. Like, I really okay, okay. like it. And I'm surprised because I was hesitant to pick this book up. It's gotten a ton of buzz. It reminds me a lot of something that I read as a child. Island of the Blue Dolphins, I think it is. Whatever that middle great book. Scott O'Dell. Yeah. The one where the woman is basically raising herself on this island. And she doesn't have any parents. So this is sort of like this. This woman lives... She's growing up, well, she's a woman later in the book, but right now she's a girl, and she's growing up in this marsh. She's had most of her brothers and sisters and her mother have fled an abusive situation, you know, with her father, and he basically had some issues when he went off to war, and he came back basically not able to handle a lot of life, and he does a lot of drinking, and he disappears for days and days, so... Right now, I'm reading it, and it's, I don't know, it's just a lot about nature, a lot about growing up alone, getting to know this community, and it's a really, like, really, like, I'm really enjoying the writing, and I don't know what I was expecting. I just don't think that I expected to like this as much as I did. It reminds me of a little too of My Absolute Darling, because I think they both are dealing with strong female characters growing up in these very dangerous and precarious environments and they have like such a strong connection to nature in my absolute darling of course it's like california and the redwoods and that kind of forest but this is all about the marsh and the birds and you know it has like strong environmental components to it the the woman who wrote it she actually spent years of her life as a wildlife scientist in africa so i'm not surprised that so much of nature figures in this book, um, sort of like Barbara King Solver too, like where nature is a big, a big part, a big player. But it's really good. I think you'll like it. So I, yeah, so I have that book at home, and it's gotten so much attention. So of course, my first reason not to read it was that everyone read it and loved it, which is usually a sign that I don't want to read it. But me too. I'm scared. Uh, you're right. I'm scared off by the nature stuff. Like, is it boring? No, because it's a lot about, I mean, there's nature thrown in there, but because she's growing up by herself, you know, a lot of it is sort of just how she is able to eke an existence out of, out of, out of her environment. So it's not like it's just like describing nature just to describe nature as some books are like it, it, you know, she's very connected and it plays a role, but it's also how she makes her living, how she manages to do this. I mean, because she is six when the book starts. So she's been raising herself for a long time. I don't blame you. I mean, nature scares me too. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't scare me. I'm more just like worried I'm going to be bored. Right. I mean, I'm just not good with like long descriptions of like the fields and the trees and stuff like that. It's just usually a turn off for me. I think you should try it. I mean, I had all of the same reservations as you did how far into it are you i am probably almost i'm approaching the halfway point i started yesterday oh wow okay <laughs> i'll finish tonight right of course yes. right after dinner 
my God. Um, okay. And are you doing any audio or is that, you know, I crawl through audio. audio I'm listening to a six hour audio and I'm probably, I've read two hours or listened to two hours and it's looker. It's, it's looker by Laura Sims. And I think I mentioned this months ago. So, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Maybe by the end of our next quarterly update, I can report that I have finished it. All right. And you tend to do audio when the weather's better. Right. Yeah, we're getting we're getting to my audio more. moment. So maybe I will next time I will have finished that and finished a couple more. Okay, good. What is our next pair? What are our next two pairings? Let's discuss these really quickly. I feel like the hardest match is already behind us and that we're just going to go through these. If you listen to our last show, you will know that we actually had to flip a coin. Oh, yeah. To advance an, an, Ameri- an American marriage because we were just talking ourselves into each book as the winner and then we just stopped right it seemed pointless so so yeah i feel like our hardest matchup is behind us so i know which is a sign of a poorly designed bracket so i take full responsibility for that but this was on the job training so next year (laughs) gail will be better is that right so gail what are our brackets okay so we are at round three and we have two matchups today. And the first one is The Girl on the Train versus Everything Here is Beautiful. And the second one is American Marriage versus The Stars Are Fire. So as you have pointed out, we really did some of the hard matchups earlier in this in this competition. Um, and we had predicted that this would, was going to be an easier choice. Um, and I think this is the sign of a poorly designed bracket. So I take responsibility for that, that the, the, the highest seeded books should not have met as early as they did in this competition. <laughs> so next year we know. Um, but for now, we have Girl on the Train versus Everything is Beautiful. So what's your gut on this one? Thinking about the criteria. So just a reminder. One, compelling and captivating throughout Two, uh, timely and relevant subject matter. And three, will it stand the test of time? I don't know. You know what? This is this is not as easy as you would think, because I feel like they both meet those criteria, especially for their respective genres. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just I can't imagine that everything here is beautiful will not be relevant. I feel like. Girl on the Train is stronger on one criteria and Everything Here is Beautiful is stronger on, on another. So for me, the Girl on the Train was a compelling read throughout. I mean, it was, you know, page turner, twisty, thrillery. Subject matter, I don't know if it's as relevant here because it's it's a psychological thriller, which is, you know, you're dealing with off-kilter, potentially unreliable narrators and jealousy and, you know, impulse control and all of that. As far as standing the test of time, I have a feeling the girl on the train is going to be, a, 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 it's going to enjoy a nice long life. I think people are going to always refer back to it as, you know, a category definer. Um, I don't know if people would reread. Is the it girl really, or is that Gone Girl? Well, yeah, maybe it was Gone Girl, but I think this is a tentpole. Like, Gone Girl came first, and yes, they're similar with the kind of different perspectives, unreliable narrator thing. But I don't know. I think that they're similar. And I think people will say, oh, yeah, 
oh, have you read Gone Girl? Uh, yes. Well, then have you read Girl on the Train? Like, I think they're kind of will be mentioned in the same breath. Everything here is beautiful. It's a, obviously a different type of book. It's literary fiction. It's not going to have the reach of Girl on the Train. I don't know if it will have the longevity, but I think the way that what for me pushes everything here is beautiful over is that second criteria, which is the timely and relevant topic. And immigration and mental illness, I mean, they are having sort of a, a, a time of increased scrutiny and spotlight now. And I can see how it makes its mark through that second criteria in a way that's, for me personally, stronger than Girl, Girl on the, on the train. train does with its categories. Yeah. So I would advance Everything Here is Beautiful over Girl on the Train. Okay. All right. So our second matchup is American Marriage versus Stars Are Fire, two books that we both loved. Think that I probably know where we're going to come out on this, but let's let's put it through the uh, formula anyway. Okay. All right. So as we've talked about with American Marriage, it is such a compelling book about such a difficult subject matter, and it does a very good job of covering or addressing that topic. And one of the things Nicole and I equally have appreciated and admired about this book from the beginning was its ability to invoke sympathy and empathy for all three characters who are involved with a difficult love triangle situation with the backdrop of very difficult circumstances. I think that we both truly love this book. And like we said last week, I mean, we couldn't, we had such a hard time deciding who to advance out of the last round that we, that we flipped a coin because this book was so good. And the other one was also so good and it was just too hard for us. The second book is the stars are fire which we also loved in part because of how it was written and it was so suspenseful and had such driving energy to it. And it was so disturbing on so many levels. And then it also addressed issues about women and freedom and independence and self-reliance and uh, abusive relationships with men. Stars of Fire was a great read, but it doesn't have the heavy import of American marriage and it doesn't, I just put it in two sort of different categories. One is like, hey, you're getting on an airplane and need an amazing book to read. Take the stars of fire because you won't be able to put it down. American Marriage is a book that I think you think about for a long time after you finish it. And I think it will stand this test of time. And it certainly made a bigger impact than Stars of Fire, which I don't ever hear anyone talking about Stars of Fire other than us. Right. So for me, I would advance American Marriage. Not, yeah. It's not a difficult call for me. Right. So I agree. I have okay, nothing to add. you wanted to add? Okay. <laughs> All right. So we have finished round three, and that means that we're in our, our final two, which we will talk about on our next show, and that is Everything Here is Beautiful versus, versus an American, American marriage. marriage. American yeah. marriage, yeah. That's interesting. All yeah. right. So before we get into our Becoming Book Club... Let's quickly take a look. Let's do, let's quickly take a look at what this quarter has been like. Like what were the standout books that you read? Did you have anything that you really enjoy? What would you say about your reading experience thus far, given that your goals were to read more of what you really liked? And you said you were going to listen to your own judgment and people whose opinions you trusted and just not go down the rabbit hole of, the things that we go down the rabbit hole with. Right. 
So that's a great question. So um, I've had a good reading quarter. It's and I'm at 15 for the year, and I was hoping to get to 60. So I'm on track, which for me, I'm excited about. I told myself this year what I was going to do, which is kind of a contradiction to what I said about where the crawdad's saying, was I was going to actually really look at what other people like and what source. It's not necessarily like the entire like bookstagram or the blogosphere, but like what individual people recommend that I trust people I trust in general. I think that has worked out really well for me. I've, I've been looking at lots of reviews and I think that the overall quality of the books I've read so far, far surpasses like last year or the year before where I kept feeling like I was sort of spinning my wheels and reading stuff and wasn't really loving that much of it. And the, for the most part, the stuff I've really, I've read, I've really liked and the stuff that I haven't been as crazy about has been the kind of randoms that I've picked up because I wanted to read them. You let them sneak in. <laughs> yeah, like the Adele's of the world. I, yeah, I, I've been really pleased with what I've read. Uh, I I think my standouts have been um, Michelle Obama's book, which we're going to talk about today. Um, Kent Haruf's book, Our Souls at Night, and The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay, which was the first book I read this year. But there's also been some other standouts even right under there, like The Dreamers and They're There, Tin Man. So I've, yeah, I've been really happy with it. Inheritance, that is ranks up there too. It's been, it's been a good few months and I'm going to keep up that kind of high level of the high bar that I feel like books need to cross before they land on my pile and, and keep going. So the one thing I'm a little bit behind on is the every day I write the book reading challenge. So there, that just to, for a reminder, that was 12 different books over the course of the year. And I have read three of them. I'm not behind except the three I read are the easiest three. And I've <laughs> read multiple in all those. So memoir, I've already read three memoirs. Right. And debut novel, I read three debut novels. So and campus book, that's not hard for me either. In fact, I'm already reading the second one right now. So <laughs> like I've, I've knocked off the super easy category. So technically I'm not behind from like a calendaring perspective, but I've got the difficult ones ahead of me. So I have to catch up on that and I've got to start getting my short stories and my Pulitzer and classics and self-help stuff done. But, um, you know, I'm not like woefully behind. I just, I've got my work cut out for me for the rest of the year. Right. But yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about things. I'm going to be on vacation next week, which means I should be able to get, you know, two or three books in as well. So I feel like, you know, I'm not like in a panic that I'm not going to make it, which is where I usually have this time of the year. Yeah. How about you? I have discarded a lot of books this year, like books that I thought I would like that I didn't just found myself, you know, like I was not enjoying. So right now I have finished 18 books, which I think is probably a record for the least amount of books I've read. I've also been just working on a bunch of different things. Like I have a bunch of different projects that are going on, so I have not really had a lot of reading time. But then I have been, you know, I just need to get better. Um, I have to invoke my inner Sarah about just cutting bait with books that I thought I would enjoy. Like I think I'm giving them a little bit too much time. I'm reaching the halfway point or three quarters of the way through before deciding that it's just like, this is just too, this is just too painful or too unenjoyable. And I'm not usually like that. I don't know what's going on, what I'm looking for in these books. I think it's harder for me with books that I, that I expect it to love. Like I'm, cause I just keep reading a little bit more, just hoping that it'll get to that point. 
that Mm -hmm. I really like it and and then they're not reaching that point or I'm taking too long to get to that point. (laughs) I'm not worried about it or whatever. I think of the books that I have completed, though, I have been really happy with the quality of them. Like, With the exception, I think, of The Hunting Party by Lucy Foley, which I read half of and at the halfway point, it was, you know, the setup was good, but then I just got to the point where it was like diminishing returns, but I kept on finishing that book. My standouts, I think, have been, I like, I really loved Unmarriageable. I really liked Bitter Orange by Claire Fuller. Like, just, it was such this atmospheric mystery read about an old house. So something that was just up my alley. Mm-hmm. I really like The Silent Patient by Alex Michelides. That book has been all over the place. And it was just such an enjoyable read. And Gail, I read the new Liv Constantine. Oh, and? I didn't really like it. Really? No. What's it called again? The Last Time I Saw You. Okay. Yeah, I didn't really like it. It was, you know, I don't know. I feel like there was something about the writing in The Last Mrs. Parrish that even though I didn't like the subject matter, I found it too stressful or it was just like oh, I've read this book before, so I really don't want to read this right now. This, I just found, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes people get a chance to to work on a book and they work on it for a really long time. So I feel like their debut had a finesse that this one is lacking. Like, I mean, it's just adequate. It's sort of like if I read a Mary Higgins Clark novel, it just struck me as a little, like some of the things that were going on, some of the gimmicks and plot points were just a little too juvenile for me, in a way. I, there was like a nursery rhyme involved. No, I just didn't... Uh, whatever the writing had in the last one, I felt like something of that was missing here. But I think the thing that really pulled me through with this book is because it's set in Maryland, which is a different environment that I usually read about. And I was sort of, you know, I was more curious about how they are presenting you know, uh, the boarding school culture there. Cause I actually have a friend who, um, went to boarding school in Maryland. So I think there were exterior reasons that kept me going with this book longer than I would have, but I'm sure everyone will love it. <laughs> I have two questions for you. Okay. The first one is, do you, have you changed this year any, in any way, how you're picking the books you're reading? Not really. No, I think it's usually like a mix of authors that I know have a book coming out. And if I really love their work, I look forward to it. And just like I have my usually my usual catnip topics. I think what's happening to me, though, is that when you read as much as we do and you have your genres that you like, I think each book. And if you read something that um, is really well done, it raises the bar, you know. Right. It raises the bar for books of that nature. All right. My next question for you is how are you doing with the Pop Sugar Challenge? Oh, I'm doing really well with that. I mean, it's 52 books. So I think in the beginning, especially whatever you read, you're going to hit a cat, you know, hit a category, you know, like book. Um, I think I had book with an amateur detective I already got book with a two word title, you know, book that's written by two women or to yeah that has two authors or it's just easy to hit a lot of categories right now because there's there's 55 so unlike with your challenge which is more difficult because like you said I haven't read 
there's no short stories, there's no classic that I finished, there's no Pulitzer. You know, I haven't, I haven't done those things yet. So I expect yeah. once I hit the six month point, I think I would, you know, then right now it seems like I can just read free range and I'm going to hit something. I think that as we go on during the year, like you say, we have to get more specific and seek out those certain titles and hope that we can, you know, fit them in in a way that is pleasurable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you haven't read Michelle Obama's book and you don't want to listen to our conversation, feel free to hop off the podcast now. If you have read it or you're curious to hear about it, and I don't think there's going to be any spoilers. It's not, yeah, not that it's kind hard of book. to spoil a public life. Yeah, exactly. But we're going to hop into that discussion now. So Paul and I both read Michelle Obama's book this year. I think we both did it on audio. Is that right? No, or did I you, read you it. You did it in print. You read it. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, you were just saying that you haven't done much audio. Um, I did it in audio with the occasional supplement via print. I do have the print. It's funny. I lent the print to my mom, and I was like, do not lend this out, and do not make it dirty. <laughs> she like, took the dust jacket off. I think I told then, my mother, I was like, I think you need to get your own copy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you'll love it that much. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's worth the money. It's worth everything. It's so good. All right. So we both love this book and everyone loves this book. So you could say this is going to be a boring discussion, but I think it's worth talking about why we love this book and what makes it so good and what makes, why it sets such a high bar for a memoir, I think. No, and Um, that's interesting because you've said this a couple of times that you don't think that this makes for a good, you know, that it makes for much discussion. And I, I feel like it, it, there's a lot of things that are, discussable about it or definitely I had a lot of moments where things were really poignant and I wanted to talk to people about how they experienced it so I guess what is your overview like what you got from this book or why it sets the bar so high for a memoir right I mean it is I was just thinking about this and it is amazingly just the construction of it like when I sit and think about how she must have you had to have outlined a book like that because because the fact that she's dealing with things that are so broad that she had to make relatable there's only certain things that you can put you know like there's only certain things that would fit there had to have been a clear path and almost a function of what she was doing with each story that she picked that's right well the first thing i just want to say is i think when i said i don't know if this makes a good discussion I guess what I'm saying is that I find some of the best book discussions are when you disagree, like when people have different views or different interpretations. And I guess I don't think there's a lot of conflict in our that I was predicting there wouldn't be a lot of conflict in our discussion. I didn't mean that there weren't things worth noting and discussing and talking about. So just to clarify, I think you're right that um, and actually I was I had a very long conversation with a good friend of mine last week about writing memoirs and Apparently, and you may have mentioned this to me too, so I, I, forgive me if this is something that you already know. Apparently, Michelle went to go see Bruce's show on Broadway. And after seeing the show, she, was, she had been in the midst of writing this book or at the early stages of writing this book. Apparently, it made her rethink the whole way she, to- she told the story of Becoming because she was so inspired by how Bruce... When he was on stage, every story that he told from the stage in his show had some relevant 
import for some theme in the book. And she went back into her book and recast it where she took these vignettes and stories and parts of her life and things that she talks about, kind of minutia or just smaller anecdotes, and always was able to relate it to something larger about the way she was evolving, about the way the presidency was evolving, about something about our country, something about Barack. So I thought that was really interesting because I think that was, she succeeded with that. But I just liked hearing that her inspiration for that type of storytelling was from Bruce. Of course you do. Of course (laughs) you do. Yes. That's really interesting because, you know, when I was thinking about, like, I had all of my questions. I was curious to look at what other book club discussion questions that they were putting out here for this book. And one of the first ones, like, in the reading group guide book discussion for this book, talks about why she chooses to, you know, there is in the prologue, you know, she's talked about all the things that she's experienced and all the people that she's been but at the end of the prologue, and they, they're just kind of like, she starts her book with this image of her sneaking out of her house and with her cheese, you know, she's made herself some cheese toast and she sneaks out and she just kind of eats it in the backyard. And the question is, like, why does she start with those images or whatever? So what you shared in terms of everything just leading to something leading to something that's particular about her life and about her story like i remember with a lot of these vignettes just talking to my mom and saying saying like she's she's picked these moments that are just they're so poignant and they're so sweet and they're so indicative of her family and how she was being raised that even though she can't tell you a whole bunch of things, you know, she's not like taking you day by day through her life. She can't. But the moments that she picks, you know, it's just like she's just formed everything for you mm-hmm. in terms of just being able to extrapolate out all of those other moments that she must have had. How do you feel like that scene? I mean, that scene really set the tone for me just in terms of thinking about making her really human, someone who hasn't had privacy, someone who hasn't had any of the special moments, but also at the same time, like being an equalizing moment. Because for the most part, all of us at some point or another has had that experience where we can do something as simple as sit and eat a sandwich in your backyard and kind of contemplate the stars. Yeah, I mean, I can certainly relate to the feelings behind that of just stealing a moment for yourself when you can. I think it frames the book in a particular way, you know, just like how she's lived in a fishbowl and how you retain those moments of privacy. But I have, there are some moments with her dad in the car and um, Mm -hmm. just some other moments that I think trump this one but that's the one that she leads with one moment that really jumped out to me that it's sort of similar to that one is at the end of the book when there's uh i guess same-sex marriage has passed and there's a huge celebration going on downtown um Mm -hmm. celebrating same-sex marriage and i guess the white house has been cast in rainbow colors and she's watching this on the news and she's seeing the celebrations happening like in lafayette park right outside the white house and yet she's she's not only insulated physically but like the 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 walls of the white house are so thick she can't even hear it inside and she feels so frustrated because all she wants to do 
she doesn't even want to go and like get in the mix and be in the middle of the park, but she just wants to hear it and see what these people are seeing. And she tries to get outside. And of course, anytime someone in the first family wants to leave the White House, other than apparently her mother, it is a huge production and requires, you know, Secret Service and all these things. And she talks about how she and Malia just snuck out. Like they basically, you know, like walk really fast by the secret service and they go to this back door and they're just trying to go outside and they go to, of course they get caught. Like they're, you know, they can't, they can't trick the secret service. The secret service is like, where are you going? And finally she confesses. She goes, we just want to see this. We want to go outside. We want to look at the lights and we want to hear the sound. And she's kind of convinces them to let her, uh, to let she and Malia do it. And so they, they finally get outside and it's this, I don't remember what time of year it was, if it was like a nice night or not, but they're able to like experience this a little bit sensory wise. They can hear it, see it and just be a little part of it. I just thought that was such a poignant moment that, you know, here's something that her administration, her husband's administration has been part of. And it's a big national moment and it's something she's so excited about and gets behind. And yet she can't really, she can't really take part in the celebration of it due to the, rigmarole of security and everything that they're part of. And that to me was such a metaphor for their whole book about how here she is growing in so many ways and experiencing all these things. And yet she has to do it so many times from a a distance and from a remove and how in so many ways, like her, her eight years in the white house were spent trying to close that gap between her and the rest of the country. As you were reading this, because you grew up in, and you grew up in D.C. and you currently live in D.C. Was there anything, I guess, that about her life or just about what from what you know, I guess, having a more D.C. insider perspective that mm-hmm. like reading between the lines was what what did you get from the book, from what she was saying or how, what her experience was like? Well, for me, I mean, I actually have a lot of overlap with her. Um, you know, we both went to the same law school. We both practiced law um, for around the same amount of time. You know, we're both kind of young associates. We both um, married other lawyers. We both went through the same infertility treatments. Um, Our daughters attend the same school, although mine just started there this year and didn't overlap much with her. Her her youngest daughter is still there. Um, It's her senior year. So, you know, I can can relate to a little bit of her just sort of – her professional evolution, the way she practiced law and then decided she hated it. I did the same thing. From a DC perspective, I mean, I'm not a political person. My husband worked in the in the Obama uh, administration for several years, but we he wasn't in the White House. He was in the State Department. So, I you know I don't have too much of a like DC insider perspective. I, I mean, I certainly have friends who have worked in the White House, and I understand the the pace and the insularity of it. And, you know, I knew some of the people that she mentioned. Our experiences in D.C. are very different when she says, I I forgot where she was, where she drove in a, oh, I guess when she went to England, she got in the car with the queen. She's like, this is the first time I've been in the front seat of a car in (laughs) eight years or something like that. You know, so like there's obviously huge differences in how our two lives sort of play out on a daily basis. I, I did find her incredibly relatable, though, and, you know, that sense of the 
trying to get everything done and juggling and being a working mom. And especially, you know, I went through long stretches of time when my husband was, was traveling and gone and she did too. And sort of that feeling of resentment and the, the things that build up when you're kind of build, when you're sort of doing a lot of things on your own and how you have to kind of get past that to make, just to restore order in your house. I just, I mean, there's so much, there's so much honesty and humanity and everything she talked about that, I felt like I was like talking to a friend. I think that's how everyone feels when they read that book is like by the end of it, they feel like they're friends. Right. Yeah. Michelle told me this great story about her life. Now it's interesting because Barack is, I would say for the most part, he's largely absent from her story, even though she's with him that whole time. And, you know, just, you were just talking about the long hours and the resentments that build up, you know, and, because of who he is, there's no remedy for that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like he can, just in pursuing his political career, do anything differently. Did it change the way that you, that you saw Barack Obama? I think, it, I think it made it even better. I mean, I think she's so respectful of him, and she's so, she so admires um, his, so many things about him. I mean, she's very honest about him and she certainly acknowledges his failings and things that were frustrating for her, but she's so consistent throughout in her praise of like his judgment, his ethics, his, his desire to affect change. I I don't know. I think he comes across really well in this and it is obviously her memoir. And there's a lot of times when he's not there, but she she even gets his sense of humor across pretty well, I thought. The, the one little anecdote I always remember, which I thought was so funny, is they went to go vote. Um, I guess this was his first presidential election. And they get, they get in to the voting booth and she's there and she's sort of hesitating, not because she can't decide, but because, you know, it's a big momentous moment for them. It's the end of this culmination of this long campaign and he's running for president and their lives are on this the potential precipice of huge change. And she's just sort of standing there taking it all in. And he looks at her and he's like, still deciding. And I just, (laughs) I love the way she depicts their interplay, their banter and his sense of humor. I thought that was really good. How about you? Did you think differently of him when you finished? No, I didn't. Like you said, I didn't think differently of him. I just felt so, I mean, I don't know. We hear a lot about political marriages or we, when you think about like maybe a Bill Clinton and a, Bill and Hillary Clinton, you know, they were just kind of both in it. And Michelle never was. So I really right. respected the way she understood who he who he was. I mean, she always just to realize that she always had a big thinker on her hands. Because I think at some point in the memoir, she says she realizes that she's going to be the one basically that's going to have a job that makes money and is holding things together because he's a little bit absent minded or she'll wake up in the night and he's looking out the window and it's like what are you thinking about and he's like income inequality or whatever Mm -hmm. so I always she always knew that she was going to be the one who was holding things down in terms of her family keeping them together like when she makes that decision that okay I'm not gonna have the girls wait up and be disappointed when he doesn't make it home and just taking a step back and figuring out the things that she needed to do in order to make her and the girls' lives successful and happy in the middle of him being so inconstant in a way. Of course, he can't help it. He's the president. He's a senator. In a lot of those 
ways those things come first. I just really respected how how well she knew him and just the sacrifice that she made to go kicking and screaming. Because one of the conversations that I've had with friends with this book, given what their lives were like, or just even before he became Barack Obama, president and senator and, you know, this great orator, I guess, you think about the man that you meet and and is he someone that you could be with, you know, because he was always who he was. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Right. I think you just get to a point where you realize that this was their journey. This was a journey that they were going to go on. But just to have so much respect for her to just be able to keep it together. Right. To, jug- to juggle all the things. Yep. Because he's a man you want, but I don't think he's easy to have in the beginning. Like she's probably just now getting a chance to enjoy him. I think you're right. I think that from, and she talks about that, like even from the very beginning, she never felt like she fully had all of him. You know, they got married, um, they were long distance for a while, then they got married. And shortly after they got married, while they're trying to start a family, he decided to (laughs) run for state Senate and was in Springfield all the time. So like she had to, from a very early time in their marriage, share him. And she talks about that a lot. I think during the presidency, in fact, she felt like she saw him a lot more because he he made an effort to come. As long as he was in town, he would come upstairs for dinner every night. And I always heard that about him, that he would leave whatever he was doing at 630, go upstairs, have dinner with the family, and then he would continue his work. So in closing, since we respect her narrative skills so much and you listen to Bruce Springsteen so much, what do you think would be the opening? What would be your opening? What do you mean? If you were writing a memoir, like, so oh. you wouldn't sneak out with your cheese toast, but what would be your moment that <gasps> what opens? What would be my moment? Oh, my God. I have no idea. I can't <laughs> imagine writing a memoir. I don't I don't know who would read it. Like, Surprising Gail it? with the creative question. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I mean, if I we no can, idea. I mean, Danny, Danny Shapiro, if we can listen to her serially mine her life for the most mine would probably be sneaking out you know uh, when I get a minute during the day I there's this place that I love to go to unfortunately it's not it closed but there was this lunch spot that I used to go to and I would go there so much and I would always get the same thing and I'd sit and read my book and like have a Mm -hmm. glass of wine at lunch with and they had this really amazing salmon that came with like two strips of bacon and and lettuce and this like um, um, gosh, I can't think of what you call this mayo now. Spice, some kind of spicy mayo. And it was delicious, and that would be a- aioli. Right? Yeah, some kind of aioli. I don't think they called it that. Or but sriracha. It was something. I don't know. <laughs> but I think that would be my moment. Interesting. Um, From which I, I would frame everything else. Me sneaking out. In the middle of a work day to have a glass of wine, eat my salmon sandwich and read my book. Right. I think for me, and there's so few times of the day that I'm alone, um, maybe running, <laughs> you know, like it's maybe when I'm running because I'm in so inside my head when I'm running and I'm usually listening to a podcast or a book or some sort of very like carefully curated music. And that's when I kind of do a lot of my just like uninterrupted thinking. Um, and I always run in the same place. I run in Rock Creek Park, which is just one of my favorite parts of DC. 
And, you know, there's the seasons that I appreciate different parts of different seasons. And I sort of like appreciate the beauty of the park and how it changes throughout the year. So maybe that would be it. It sounds kind of boring, but I think that might be it. Do you know how many movies start with an opening shot of someone running? I think there's something classic about it. I think so too. I think so too, because you, it is so, um, evocative of what's good. Like it's the setting is so important for that. And you like you seeing things through the eyes of the person running and that kind of what their experience. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess you're right. It's not it's not boring, but mm-hmm. maybe it's un- unoriginal, but not necessarily boring. <laughs> Classic, not unoriginal. Yeah. Classic. OK, oh, I like your spin. <laughs> Positive spin on everything. If you haven't read Becoming and you've still made it to the end of this podcast, I highly recommend it as a memoir it's there's something in it for everyone and i think listen it certainly helps to share her politics to share her her views on the world you know one thing i wanted to say before we wrap up like i I mean but does it do you i wonder about a man's experience reading this Uh, is your husband gonna read it can you ask a big reader no he's not a big reader anyway but I've, i've actually told him he should read it and he says he would like to um uh, yeah, I mean, I think maybe it resonates more with a mom than with a woman than with a man. Um, but I think I, I think if I were like a staunch Republican, there probably maybe there were parts of the book I wouldn't like. I don't know. One, one thing I like so appreciated about the Obamas, and she talks about this so much throughout the second half of the book when the presidency. Actually, I think that. I think that the presidency comes even past the second half. I think it's really like the last third or third. maybe even the last quarter. Yeah. But one thing I so appreciated about them was how they really took every opportunity they could to open up the White House and the presidency to people who traditionally hadn't really gotten into it. So, like, she plants her garden, and every year when it comes time to plant the seeds – she invites kids from like an area DC public school to come in and plant the seeds. And I love how she talked about how they changed all the artwork in not only the residency, but also in the, um, in the, you know, the public spaces of the white house to reflect a more diverse group of artists, a younger group of artists like that. There's, that's just two of like a huge number of examples of times when they really tried to, make everything the presidency touched kind of more reflective of how America looks now, as opposed to the, all the traditional stuff that's always been in the white house. And I really loved that. And I, mean, maybe if you were like not in favor of that type of thing, which I can't really imagine, but maybe if you were, <laughs> you know, don't share that view of the world, then maybe you would roll your eyes reading this book and you'd get irritated by it. But on a, as a piece of literature, Politics aside, I think it stands on its own beautifully. What is your, now that you brought up the part that there were different sections, and this was in my mind to ask you, what was your favorite section? Oh, my favorite section was, well, I like the presidency stuff, but I think my favorite section was like her graduating from law school, being a new lawyer and meeting Barack. I thought that the part where they meet and the evolution of their love story was so compelling. So yeah, I think that, so like if we divide it into fourths, I'm going to say the second fourth would probably be my favorite part. What about you? 
I really like the first part. I really like Becoming Me. I mean, I really love the first two parts because I feel like you can't, like, I guess the second part is Becoming Us. Mm, That's my favorite part, yeah. Those two, I wasn't crazy about Becoming More. I mean, I think because we got so much, you get Michelle, but you get so much less of her because so much of it is about logistics and, like, what she's trying to do. Like, so much of it is White House stuff and, like, her initiatives and... Yeah. So I really think you get such a strong sense of who she is in the first two parts. And in Becoming More, of course, it's it's her in support of Becoming More and the way she has to either grow to accommodate the new life that she has or change or try to navigate it in some way. So I feel like you get less of her there. Like there's so much other stuff going on. That's Mm -hmm. interesting. But like, I really loved her voice and her life and, and stuff. So I really love the first two parts. Yeah. I think for me, I I had forgotten that it was thirds and I don't have the book in front of me right now. Um, Of course my mother has it. Becoming me, becoming us and becoming more. more. Yeah. Okay. So mine would be the second third. Second yeah. becoming us. I love that part, but I I like the whole thing. <laughs> I See, like the whole thing, she, and then I, she stuck a romance story in there. Yeah, she did. And I did this entire thing on audio. I mean, and you I didn't get tired, and I didn't get tired. No, book. and it was so long. And I mentioned, I think earlier, I would like take this in the shower. <laughs> I would take this walking the dog. I mean, I was listening to. I would be cooking dinner, listening to this. Like, I just couldn't get enough of it, and. I, you know me, I'm daunted by length. I hate long books and I hate long audio. I, I'm always like <laughs> super like, I feel like it, I'm just, I dread them because I feel like they're going to take forever. And this one just did not this bother me like an hour for your girl, an hour with your girlfriend while you're cooking dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's so felt like. the test, the final test though is, did you speed her up? Did I speed her up? I think I did. I did it at 1.2. So it's like, well, that's not, that's just like a little bit boost. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, she is a slow reader. So Mm -hmm. 1.2 was perfect. Like it was just barely sped up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I did. I almost never go fast. Do you, do you speed up past 1.2? Like, would you do more than that ever? I do 1.5. I've done 1.5. It just Hmm, depends. Some people are really slow that I could, that you could almost double them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I, I I feel like that's usually just conversational or probably reading speed. I think maybe 1.5 is reading speed. All right. So she gives good audio book. She does. All right. Well, good. So on that note, we will wrap up the March book discussion. Our next book is uh, The Dreamers, I believe, by Karen Thompson Walker. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the date in front of me. I have to read that. I'm good. I'll be nice and fresh for it. Okay. Yes. April 18th, The Dreamers. All right. So if you want to join our next book club, we're going to be reading The Dreamers. And that will air April 18th. If you like the show, tell your friends about us, post about it, please. We love sharing the word about the podcast with people. And thank you for listening. Happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonilla.com and 
me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. 